This morning we are going to be continuing the Ephesians sermon series. So if you've got your Bible with you, I encourage you to go ahead and turn right now to Ephesians chapter 2. And hopefully we are going to be able to cover the first ten verses this morning. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, and the plan is to cover the first ten verses of that chapter. Now you'll probably remember it was three weeks ago today we began the Ephesians sermon series and we looked at chapter 1 in its entirety that day. Um, I had really initially thought that we would take the entire chapter today, but as I began preparing for this sermon, there are so many things that are in the first ten verses. I said we we can't tackle it all today, but I want to take just a moment to uh, remind you of some things that we talked about last time, just so it is fresh in all of our minds. To start with, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. He was born in Tarsus, a Jew near the Lebanese border in what we now know as modern-day Turkey. Paul was a Roman citizen. Uh, He was previously a Jewish religious leader known as a Pharisee, and he was highly educated. Paul converted to Christianity, and was it a radical conversion God took that man who had previously persecuted Christians and he used Paul to become the primary apostle to the Gentiles. And I remember saying last time, only God can do that. Only God can do something like that. Paul was put in prison in Rome in A.D. 67 and he died in prison in A.D. 68. So as far as the profile of the book of Ephesians, Paul sent this to all Christians that were there in the city of Ephesus. He did not send it to one uh, specific church. Now, this letter was most likely delivered by Tychicus. I thought, I'm going to say it today. I had said it every time this morning that I tried until just then. Tychicus, Tychicus, Tychicus is how you pronounce that name. But he was a co-laborer. Of Paul, have you ever had a co-laborer, someone who works closely with you? You developed usually a great relationship with those people. Tychicus and Paul were co-laborers in the gospel; they were friends. Paul wanted to stress the spiritual blessings that Christians have in Christ, and he wanted to stress the importance of living a lifestyle that reflects those spiritual blessings. We're going to be talking about that in a little more detail in today's message, but let me tell you, the time is now for us to live our faith. The world is watching. The world is watching to see specifically how will we respond as Christians to certain things. Let's be the church. So what do we know about uh, Ephesus, the city in general? Well, it was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia, again, in what we now know as modern-day Turkey. It was the leading trade center in the Roman Empire. It was the center of worship for the pagan goddess, goddess Diana. The Temple of Diana was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It had around 300,000 people uh, as its population. It was a beautiful city, very sophisticated. It was pagan. And it was very wealthy. Now, the title of this morning's sermon, you've probably already figured out through some of the songs. We're going to be talking about grace this morning. And I pray that once you hear this morning's message, that you will agree with me that when we are trying to describe grace, there is really no other word that we can use to describe God's grace other than amazing 
Now this morning we're going to be addressing our spiritual union with God. And we're going to see that God's grace gives us life. So as Paul begins this particular chapter, the first three verses, he talks about our spiritual death. Now remember in chapter 1, Paul tells the Ephesian church about the spiritual blessings that we have that God has for us, and then as the chapter closed out, we see that Paul prayed for those people. And I remember saying last time, I really believe that as Paul was praying for those people, that was one of those prayers that just spanned through the centuries. I believe that Paul's prayer was also for us. He wanted us to be able to comprehend, to understand what those spiritual blessings are. Now I want to be sure that we don't miss that one of those spiritual blessings was forgiveness of sins and redemption by Christ. We spent some time in the first sermon talking about exactly what redemption meant. Now, in chapter 2, Paul's going to continue to explain this truth in more specific detail. We were spiritually dead and we were separated or alienated from God. And we can't miss what caused this. It was our trespasses and our sins. That is what caused us to be spiritually alienated. And then he said, in once you once walked, following the course of this world. Does that sound familiar? Can we look around today and see people that are definitely following the course of the world? Following the prince of the power of the air, Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And the sons of disobedience. And, you know, you might wonder. I think it would be a fair question to ask ourselves. How could somebody follow the course of the world? Is that something that you have on your to-do list? You know, for the people that are following the course of the world, do you think they have a to-do list? And at the, front, at the beginning of it, I'm going to follow the course of the world today? I don't think that's what they do at all. I don't think that's at all how it happens. But so many times... The world speaks louder than Christians do. The world speaks louder than Christians do. And I want to tell you this morning, church, it's, it's time for us to speak up. We have to be the voice of Christ. And maybe you're hearing me this morning and you still think, I wonder, what exactly are you talking about? Could you give me an example of how easy it is to follow the course of those around us? If you've ever been to a ball game, you've experienced it already. You know, for years I have found myself watching ball games, and I want you to hear me at the beginning. There is nothing wrong with watching ball games. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There is nothing wrong with watching ball games. But I have been around ball games since the time Isaac was a little boy. Watched him play all through high school and college, and now we're watching Kaylee cheer. And now sometimes I, I show up just to support her. I really don't know many of the players anymore. But, you know, it's easy, like, when you're there to get caught up just in the excitement of the game. You know, maybe you've had a bad day, you're there, you're not even into the game, and all of a sudden the crowd ignites. Before you realize what's happened, you probably have too. You get caught up in the game because you follow the people around you. 
And that's sort of an example, I believe, that Paul is giving us here. It is easy. It's easy to follow the course of this world because they're speaking loudly. They're speaking very, very loudly. And again, this is time. It's time for us as Christians to speak up and represent Christ, to live our lives in a way that honors Christ. Our words, our speech should honor Jesus. Our actions should honor Jesus. We have got to be His voice. Now, Paul reminds us in verse 3. Let me just read that to you. It says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You know, this morning I want us to understand that God's wrath is a very, very real thing. It is a very, very real thing, and in general it comes in one of two ways. Galatians 6, 7 reminds us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And folks, I'm going to tell you, maybe you're thinking this morning, well, could, what, what exactly are you talking about? How does that relate to God's wrath? Well, first of all, I want you to understand we are all sinners. We live in a sinful, sinful world. But I'm just going to give you one or two um, examples here. And again, I know we have a an audience that is made up this morning of young people all the way through senior adults. And I have absolutely no idea who is watching this morning on the live stream or will watch in the future. So I am not going to go into detail, but I think I will be able to give you this example in enough detail that you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me just put it this way. If we, if any of us are sexually immoral... It shouldn't be a surprise to us if we come down with some type of disease that is a result of the sexual immorality. Do you realize that would have never been an issue had sin not crept into the garden? It would not have. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. And I think another way that God's Wrath is displayed. Is there, there is a day that is coming when we are going to stand before him face to face. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. It might be today. Today may be the last day that we're here on the earth. We never know when our life on earth here is going to end. And then we are going to stand before Jesus. And it's going to be too late to beg for mercy. It's going to be too late to ask, to ask Him for grace. And you know, I would think that if a non-Christian is hearing this this morning that that would be absolutely terrifying to know that your life could end at any moment and then you're going to stand before Christ. And then at that point, we can't ask Him to forgive us. It will be too late. I would also think that if you're here this morning and you're not absolutely certain that you're saved, 
I would think that this verse that's on the screen right now would also be equally terrifying because our life could end at any moment. So I wonder, what would it look for me? What would it look like for you if that day came for us today? Because let's not be fools. It is going to come for somebody today. It might come to one of us today. Now, you have heard me say many, many times as I preach that I always want to offer hope. Because I know to this point, you know, it seems like gloom and doom with the verses that we have looked at so far. But let me tell you something. There is hope. There is hope. And His name is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I wonder, do you know Him today? If Today, you stood before him face to face. Would he say, enter in, my child, well done? Or would he say, depart from me, I never knew you? Let's be clear, it's going to be one of those two things that he will say. Now, as we began to look at the rest of our text this morning, verses 4 through 10, we're going to see that Paul begins to talk about our spiritual life, and you're going to see, we're going to see through this text that Paul begins to offer these people hope. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, made us alive together, with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. A lot of times now we say that's a but God moment. Maybe there is something that you've experienced in your life and you know that apart from the hand of God intervening that there would have been absolutely no other way that could have happened. That's a but God moment. Let me tell you what else is a but God moment. When we experience salvation. That is a but God moment. You know, earlier this morning, we sang the words of amazing grace together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I wonder this morning, have you experienced that amazing grace of God. If you have it, you can today. Let's just be clear. You can experience that today if you hadn't. Our sins made us spiritually dead. Our sins separated us from God. But the resurrected Christ, it over, He overcame death. And that is great, great news this morning. So why would He give us life when we deserve death? Why? Do you ever think about that? Why would he have given us life? Why would he be willing to give us life when we deserve death? Did we earn it? Absolutely not. Could we earn it? Absolutely not. Folks, we deserve death, but if you're here this morning, or if you're hearing my voice this morning, and you're in Christ, he gave you life. And that is because of the grace of God. Now, I want to talk about verse 6 for just a moment, which says, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in 
Christ Jesus. Sometimes this particular verse can be confusing. But I think what Paul is trying to get across to us here is that if we are truly Christians, that God considers us worthy to be seated in heaven right with Jesus Christ when we get there. And I just want to give you an example this morning. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that you have received an invitation to a black tie dinner event. And you really don't know why you got the invitation, but you got it. And you decide you're going to go. And so you get there with your finest clothes on. And you start looking around and you notice that every one of the people that you consider to be the most influential people in the world, whoever you believe those people are, they're all there. Every one of those people are there. And you are too. And then as you make your way towards the place where you're actually going to sit down and eat dinner, you get into that place. All the tables are beautifully decorated at every place there is a place card that identifies who's supposed to sit there and you're going around trying to find your seat and you notice that all of these people who you consider to be the most influential people in the world they're all sitting at the same table and you know that that's not where your seat is so you have to ask for assistance because you can't find your seat and so one of the waiters, you tell them what their name, your name is. One of the waiters takes you to your seat, and it is at the same table with all of these people who you believe are the most influential people in the world. Well, how, how would you feel in that moment? You know, how would I feel in that moment? Well, probably after I got over the shock of it, I would probably think it was an honor to be seated at the same table with those people. But can I tell you something this morning? What I've just described to you, that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what it will be like to get to heaven and to be able to sit at the same table with Jesus Christ. It doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what the scene or the situation will be in heaven, We're going to be seated with Jesus if we're in Christ. And that is great news. So I've got to ask us, how are we living our daily lives here? Are we living a life in front of others that actually reflect Jesus? Remember, if we're a Christian, we're no longer dead in our sins. But instead, we are alive in Christ and we should be representing Him in all that we do. Christians, we are called to live lives that are different than the world around us. I wonder, are we? Am I? Am you? Now, verse 7 is another one of those beautiful verses. And I want to read it just so you can hear it in context, beginning with verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I wonder, 
do you realize that when this word is used, show, it is really being used as to display. And you know, if we are thinking about, an, like if we were looking at a painting that an artist has painted, in general, I mean, not always, there will always be exceptions to this, but in general, the painting that you are looking at, it reveals the skill of the artist, doesn't it? And I'm telling you, I was not, God did not give me a gift to draw anything. Not anything at all. I'm telling you, if I were to draw something, I would probably have to explain to you what it was because you wouldn't be able to recognize it. I remember when, back in the day, when I was in elementary school, there was a period of time there for, it seemed like about through second through sixth grade or so, we would have a spelling unit and we would always have to draw a cover sheet to go on our spelling unit. And I've never had a problem spelling, but I do have a problem drawing. And my cover sheets were awful. They were absolutely awful. And a lot of times the teachers would have to ask me what it was. And, you know, that revealed that I didn't really have any skills as an artist. It it really didn't. I don't. God did not give me that. But if we were looking... If we were looking at a real painting by a real artist, by someone who could draw, most likely you'd be able to tell what that picture was. And most likely it would show us the skill of the artist. So we can think of this verse as that God is displaying his children. He's displaying us that have been redeemed before the entire universe. And he does it in order to demonstrate his great grace that he has for us. Now, that same grace that he has shown us through salvation, it's the same grace that was shown in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, remember when we were in verse 5, Paul mentioned, by grace you have been saved. And now here in verse 8, he goes into more detail. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. And you know, when we are thinking about grace, if I were to ask you to define grace for me right now, I'm sure we would get a lot of different answers. Some of you would say amazing. And that is absolutely true. It is It is amazing. Maybe some of you would say unmerited favor. That is absolutely true. Sometimes when we are describing God's grace, we describe it like this. It is getting what we don't deserve. And specifically what we mean by that is getting salvation because we don't deserve it. We absolutely do not deserve salvation, but praise God for His amazing grace And then sometimes we define mercy as not getting what we do deserve. Not getting what we do deserve. Because let's just be clear. We live in a sinful world. What we deserve is being separated from Christ, from God forever. But aren't we thankful for His mercy and His grace? You know, God didn't have to offer us salvation. He didn't. He would have been absolutely justified to have sent us all to hell. 
to be separated from Him for all eternity. But in spite of the fact that our actions deserve judgment, God offered an escape. He didn't have to, but He did. He offered it, and it was because of His great love that He has for us. He wanted to. That grace is what saves us through faith from that eternal judgment apart from God. No part of it, no part of it can be attributed to us. Verse 9 says it's not a result of works. And then it even tells why it's not a result of works. So that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. Now I wonder... This morning, I'm sure that you have noticed that this entire time that you've been in the sanctuary this morning, that there's been this box that's sitting here. Well, first of all, I want to thank Miss Sandy for wrapping it for me. For, and I'm sure she will get me after the fact, but she does so much behind the scenes. And so often we'll show up, something's been decorated, we didn't even know she'd been here and done it. She has helpers, but... She, she does a wonderful job. Her helpers do a wonderful job. And so earlier in the week, I called her and I said, I need your help with the sermon illustration. And so she said, of course, I'll do it. So I want you to listen to me for just a few minutes. So we can look at this box. We can admire the wrapping paper. It's beautiful wrapping paper. It really is. We can look, that is a beautiful bow. It's beautiful. It really is. And you know, maybe we could talk for hours about how beautiful this is. But does, it, does what's inside the box do us any good if we just talk about how beautiful the outside of the box is? Does it? No, and the answer is no. It doesn't. And then I want to take it a step farther. Let's just say you say, I want this. If I were to say right now, I have got a gift for you. And here it is. Here it is. You still have to make the decision whether or not you're going to accept the gift, don't you? Because let's face it, the gift's here. And you're there. Unless you take some type of action... This, what's inside this box not going to do you one bit of good, is it? It's not. And it's sort of like salvation. God offers a free gift. Salvation. But just because he offers it, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be in heaven. You've got to accept the gift. You have got to accept the gift. I wonder, have you... Today, and I want us just to open this gift this morning just to see what's inside of this box. I probably should have asked for a volunteer <laughs> to help me. Let's see, that once beautiful wrapping paper, you know, you're probably not going to be able to use this again. You might be able to reuse the bow, but we're interested on what's on the inside. Let's see what it is. I'll look what it says. 
Ephesians 2.8, where by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the what? Gift. It is the gift of God. I wonder this morning, have you accepted that gift? It's free, but we've still got to make the decision as whether or not we're going to accept the gift. And then again, verse 9 tells us it's not a result of work so that no one may boast You heard me preach all the way through the Galatians sermon series about how salvation is not based on works. And it's not. It is not based on works. But can I tell you something this morning? If we are truly in Christ, we will do works. And it will be because we are doing it out of the overflow of our hearts. If our hearts have been redeemed, we will be doing things to serve Jesus. Unless there's some type of medical limitation or physical limitation that won't allow you. But, you know, so often, even in those situations, we can still do something to glorify Jesus, something to glorify Him. But again, salvation it is not based on works. We could never, ever do enough to earn our salvation. But God did it all. He absolutely did it all. And then in verse 10, we see that his work, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For all of eternity, we as Christians will be recognized as God's workmanship. And so as we prepare to close this morning, I just want to remind us all that If we're in Christ, God is always working in and through us. This happens when we're faithful and obedient to Him. God's at work. In faith, we join Him in that work for His honor and for His glory, never for our honor and never for our glory. So I want to ask one more time, have you experienced the grace of God? If you have, I believe that you will agree with me that there is truly no other word for grace but amazing. And as we prepare to close this morning, I always feel like I need to just simply describe how it is that one accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now here, just in a few minutes... We're going to be able to celebrate the ordinance of baptism. And it is always a wonderful day when we do that. Baptism occurs after a person is saved. Baptism is not what saves a person. We call it believers of baptism because we do that in obedience, in following Jesus. But baptisms... They indicate salvation. It's a result of the salvation that has previously occurred. And you know, for that to happen, it is truly as easy as we will be telling children this week through Vacation Bible School that it is. It's it's the truth. It's the truth. It's not hard. It's not difficult to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We've got to admit that we're a sinner. And that those things in our life caused sin, that it made a barrier. It caused us to be separated from God. But He loved us. God loved us so much 
that he sent his son Jesus to this earth. He had an earthly ministry, approximately 33 years. He endured so much for us, for me, for you. And then he gave his life on that old rugged cross. But he didn't stay dead. He did not stay dead. They took his body down from that cross. They buried his body. And then three days later, he arose. And that's why we celebrate Easter. And then we have to, the sea is called confess. We have to confess that Jesus is Lord. And that confession process involves repenting and turning from our life of sin. I wonder this morning, have you done that? If so, if you have, you know that there is truly no other word for God's grace but amazing. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. As we prepare to have our invitation hymn this morning, if you're here this morning you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please don't put it off another second. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. You know, maybe you're here this morning or maybe you are watching the live stream or hearing this on the radio and you've been evaluating during this message today. You know, I'm just not absolutely certain that I'm saved. If that's the case, please don't let that go a day farther. We would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. I wonder this morning, have you accepted the gift? Have you accepted the gift? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we're so thankful that your grace is amazing. Father, thank you for loving us in spite of us not being lovable. Thank you for sending Jesus to the cross to die for our sins so that we can have eternal life. Father, I pray that during this invitation that you will just simply search our hearts. And what I pray that if there is one here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, what I pray that today will be the day of salvation. And Father, maybe you are, are calling people today just to, just to recommit to, to truly making you first place in their life. Father, I pray that you will work in those hearts as well. Father, I pray that you will be glorified today. And Lord, I pray that we would just be able to leave this place today proclaiming the wonderful news that we have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.